What's up, everyone? It's your boy DJ Ben Amin, and on this episode of Fan Bros Show, we talk about Michelle Rodriguez putting her foot in her mouth again. Mrod. We also talk to Josh Trujillo. Uh, get get some more talk about gaming going on here, and we discuss who would be your best choice for Black Joker. Bloker. Welcome to the Fan Bros, the show where the bros are fans. And welcome, internets, to another episode of Fan Bros. The show where the bros are fans or something to that extent. And it's your boy, DJ Ben Hamid, a.k.a. the former Herald of Galactus, the once and future King of Zamunda, the Kevin Bacon of the internets. On Fan Bros Show, the voice of the urban geek. And as always, I am joined by... Chico Leo, yo, I'm the the Wookiee Warlock here on the mic. <laughs> the Wookiee Warlock. Once again, when I was in Ethiopia, Chico Leo attended wizardry school and came back as the Wookiee Warlock. And usually we have the beautiful Tatiana King Jones in the building, but she's off on an adventure of her own, doing some tomb raiding the black Lara Croft in the house. So instead, for your listening pleasure, we have dun, 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 reverse Kimsonian, a.k.a. Captain Cold. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's right. We have Kimsonian, the Space Dose producer in the house on Fanbro's show. Yeah. Hope everyone has been having a great week, loving life, enjoying themselves out there in this wintry New York City cold. And to all our listeners across the globe, you're probably in a better temperature than us right now. But if you are in New York City, do remember tonight, that is if you listen to the show, on March 5th, we have at Home Sweet Home, Uh-oh. Samus Yo. and Mega Ran, the Rappers with Arm Cannons touring. That's right. Tonight, March 5th, at Home Sweet Home, the Rappers with Arm Cannons Tour, featuring storytelling, Samus, I can mess that up, Mega Ran, all kind of rappers, me DJing, it's a party, it's crazy. Check out Fanbro Show for more information on Instagram and Twitter. That's it? Nobody got anything to add to that? That's going to be a slamming show. That's right. So you're going to be there, Kimson? I'm going to be there. All right. Yeah, I'm going to be there. So is the, uh, are the rest of the Fan Bros crew coming? or? Uh... Well, Tatiana Jones will still be Tomb Raidering, but I think Ty the Robot will be in the house. Right. I thought I thought she was actually procuring dilithium crystals to, uh, to run the spaceship. Ooh. Oh, you know, you had more knowledge of her secret mission than I did. Right. Yeah, but that's right. Home Sweet Home, March 5th, Thursday night. Mega Ran, Samus. And where is it? Home Sweet Home, Lower East Side, New York City, 131 Christie Street. Anything else you need to know? I think that's pretty much it. I think we're all going to be there. Word up. See you tonight. Or if you're listening to this after Thursday, March 5th, then... You already know how slamming that show was. <laughs> Great. But you can still catch us Saturday night at the Ben Amin Birthday Bash. Wow. Yeah, it's a lot going on. How Birth- old are you now, Ben Amin? 24? Yeah. Nice. Young Buck is nice. what they call me. <laughs> Somewhere around there. Wow, That's halfway right. to 48. <laughs> <laughs> I look good for my age. You do. Yeah, Huckleberry Bar, March... 7th, Saturday night. It's going down. Brooklyn, you know what it is. Check my Instagram for more information. DJ Ben, I mean. Check Fan Bros Show. Follow us on Instagram and Twitter. Like us on Facebook. Subscribe on SoundCloud. You know the routine. But what else is going on? You know, we made all these announcements. What is the news of the week? Kimsonian Chico, let me know. Well, we had we uh, definitely suffered some deaths last week. Uh, 
Anthony Mason from the New York Knicks uh, passed away at a very, very, very young age. I've, I don't, you know, I think he was like 48. Uh, see what you're half, what you're halfway to now, Ben. So, yep. you know, that's something to think about. And, uh, of course, Leonard Nimoy uh, passed away. Live long and prosper, Leonard Nimoy, man. He did. He did. He definitely lived long and he definitely prospered. And he was in the new movies. Yes. That's right. Like, none of the other cats were in the new movies, no. right? He was the only one. Now, Spock is the, if you were going to pick one Star Trek character, it's Spock. I mean, you know, Spock is the, the of all the, all the Star Treks, you know what I mean? I feel like he's the dopest character. So, one thing I was, I'm beefing with my man Jason Pollard on Instagram, I mean, on uh, Twitter, um, we had this off-air debate about how Star Wars, of course, for me, Star Wars is way better than Star Trek. Right. And this is something I've been having with Tatiana off-air. We want to bring it on air at some point. But clearly, Star Wars, to me, is a stronger, universal, just premise alone, the storyline, much stronger to me. Anyway, he sent me some articles saying how dope Spock was. Spock is the only transcendent, and I will go on air saying this, the only transcendent character from Star Trek. Wow. Meaning what? What do you mean by saying the only transcendent character? Like so he's the one that Uhura, Uhura is awesome as right. a character because it broke all sorts of bar- barriers and all that stuff. As a character, though, character, like within your universe, what is it that you walk away with? Spock was like Michael Jackson of sci-fi when right. he came out. Right. Nobody was fucking with Captain Kirk. The cats who, who were really messing with Captain Kirk were like trying to be slick. But real heads knew that Spock was the real deal. So, okay, I give you that, Jason. Pollard, whatever. Um, but then he's like, yo, that he, Spock son's any Star Wars character. And I was like, do I have to go down the list as in terms of being transcendent? Right, right. So who, who beats Spock from Star Yoda. Wars? Darth Vader. Uh, yeah. All right. Those are, those are the first two that I, I, right. I responded. So obviously Yoda. R2-D2. Come on. Even the droids are better. Chewbacca. Spock, what Spock brings to the table, and I, you know, I basically have the Rodney King, can't we all get along uh, attitude on the on the Star Wars, Star Trek stuff. Uh, I, I I feel like I can be a fan of both, but it doesn't make what, good what, podcasts. What, I know, I know, I know. What, what Spock brings, though, is Spock is the first biracial character, bicultural, because he's half human, half Vulcan. And he's constantly he's interspecies. Those two, yeah, those two sides are always at war. And, you, you you know, in, in his, you know, like he's either when he's around humans, he definitely feels more Vulcan. And when he's around Vulcans, he, they treat him like a human. Right. No, I'll so, give it to that Spock is, you know, transcendent and that he is the first, you know, interspecies character. And uh, I'll give it to him that he even probably rates higher than a Chewbacca. And Spock is pretty much the only person who I could compare to Yoda. Because he actually had a philosophy right. and had a meaning behind, you know, just being a character. He actually had something to say and expressed, you know, a point. While, you know, other than Captain Kirk's point was, you know, get women, you know, and violate the codes as much as possible. So Violate the prime directive yeah, and, vi- <laughs> and violate the alien women's bodies. Con- hey. Consistently. Hopefully like, both right. so, at the so, same time. And and that's my point about, anyway, the, the premise of both Star Trek and Star Wars you know, Star Trek to me is the European fantasy colonialism reenacted in space, even though that wasn't the intention. But from premise, you know, that's basically what they're doing. They're looking for new lands. They're not supposed to interfere. They constantly interfere. I mean, and I know there's like, you know, no, 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 you're absolutely right. I mean, he pitched it as wagon train to the in, in space. And wagon train was a show about a, a frontiersman, yeah, yeah, frontiersman going and taking the land of the Indians right. and killing them or driving them off their land. Right. So, so there's definitely no doubt that that you're right. I mean, that's definitely there. In, and in and the you're, Star you're, Trek stuff. you're only seeing the other the, the other aliens through the lens absolutely. of a very familiar kind of white centric right those are the aliens let's play nice and all this stuff when you come to star wars it's the complete opposite it's like the world is in chaos and you have the individual rising up from oppression whether whatever color they are and clearly all the jedis you know can be all different kind of come from all different backgrounds well they do yeah so right so diversity is not an issue and of course it's two different time frames and all that and without star trek there's no star wars blah, blah blah i get all that 
But Jason, don't come at me <laughs> trying to. What's his Twitter account? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I'm not. I'm not gonna do that to him. He, he's actually. You already did it to him. You might as well just finish this up now. No, but I mean, I'm using Jason as a as a small target of all these other. You know, you can't. You cannot attempt to elevate Star Trek. Spock is the only transcendent character. There are many memorable characters. Right. But when it comes to transcendent and within that universe, that Spock, I give it to you. R.I.P. Leonard Nimoy. And a little trivia, did you know that the Spock symbol was a rabbinical? Was a rabbinical. Uh, yeah. Like, it's a it's a Hebrew symbol. Right. Yeah, no, I didn't gesture. know that. Yeah. Yeah, that's pretty cool. And he added that. It's in. a Hanchester for what? For peace. It's kind of like it's a it's a it's a blessing. Right. And it represents the feminine aspect of God, Shanika. But I don't think I'm pronouncing it right. No, I think it's like Shekinah because I Shekinah, actually Shekinah, yeah, not Shanika. I, yeah, Shekinah. That's right. So in his later years, Leonard Nimoy did, did a lot of photography books, taking pictures of naked women, of which I have one of those photography books, and it's called Shekinah. And he's trying to find the sacred in the feminine. Right. And one of his books is actually, and I've been looking for it, is uh, of uh, big boned naked women or uh, full figured naked women. BBWs as yes, they are BBWs, commonly known. Big beautiful women. Yes. Um, so he definitely had that interest. Uh, you know, obviously came through from you know Star Trek until until his dying day. In women, it, well, in in the in the feminine, the sacred feminine, and you know that the the symbol that the the Spock Vulcan symbol, and then you know his his photography interests, and uh, you know. He, he was brought, yeah, I think he brought so much to that character. Absolutely. You know, he brought so much of himself to that character. I heard the story when he showed up that day, he said the Vulcans should be able to greet each other with a specific greeting. And he, he threw up this, you know, the Vulcan sign basically. Right. And wow. then the the rest is legend. And like, you know, everybody, you know, when you first time you see it, you're like, Yeah, live long and prosper. You know, what's up, Pharrell? You need to be paying some royalties, right? I mean, come on. <laughs> Seriously. I'm sure the Star Trek people have spoken to him more than once about that already. <laughs> All right. We got a huge show ahead of us, so let's take a quick break right here, and we'll be right back with more Fan Bros. This is DJ Maceo, a.k.a. Dr. Spock. You know what it is. It's your boy, Young Guru, a.k.a. The Beast, a.k.a. Hank McCoy, a.k.a. Not a Brahma. Hey, yo, yo, yo. This is Foul Munch. Oh, hey, this is your friendly neighborhood superhero, Jean Grey. What's up? This is Spike Lee from the Republic of Brooklyn, New York. This is Axel Alonso, editor-in-chief of Marvel Comics. When I'm not sitting at my desk ruling the comic book universe, I'm listening to Fan Bros. And welcome back, Fan Bros, to Fan Bros Show. It's your boy, DJ Ben Amin. I hope you've been enjoying this episode. As always, this is Fan Bros Show, the voice of the urban geek. And speaking of Urban Geeks, boy, this week right here, man, we need like a donkey of the day type thing, or, you know, we need some type of sound effect. Tribble of the day. Nah, the triples aren't especially ridiculously Jawa of the day. <laughs> now, Jawas are dope. Yeah, Jawas are pretty uh, smart. Hustlers. What do they call them? The, what does he call them? Dirty little, these dirty Jawas or something like that? Right, well, yeah. you know. Yeah, Uncle but they're Owen not especially. Have, uh, yeah, he doesn't have the best taste. They don't especially foot, put their foot in their mouth that often, as are. Uh, I don't know what we're gonna call her. You know, star of the day, donkey of the day. Shout out to Charlemagne the God. But Michelle Rodriguez. <laughs> po po. Uh, Chico, you want to let the people know? I mean, for those who don't know what happened. So Michelle Rodriguez, high school dropout, uh, wow. you know, uh, wow. was, was like, you know, here, here's the one thing I'm going to say. I'm not defending her, but a lot of people have said a lot of stupid things when they're interviewed by TMZ at two in the morning on their way from the club to get into the car. Are you going to be the Green Lantern? <laughs> That's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. Really? Yeah, I think it's so stupid for like everybody because of this whole like, you know, like minorities in Hollywood thing. Like, well, it's been all over the internet. But it's though. so stupid. It's like stop stealing, you know, all the white people's superheroes. Like make up your own. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> like what's up with that? That's like, awesome. And, you know, Michelle Rodriguez, I, from a personal point of view, I'm hoping that was her Dominican half and not her Puerto Rican half responding to that. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I mean, 
what what surprised me is that she doubled down with her apology. It's one thing, look, if if I was coming out of a club and I had been drinking all night and doing lots of coke and sniffing after all kinds of white pussy, I might say something really ridiculous. What? <laughs> but, but wait, what did she say exactly? She said, yeah, well, we you you uh she said, you know, basically that what what all these minorities uh why are all these minorities trying to play super pl- trying to play all these superheroes why don't they get their own she heroes? She basically was saying like stop, you know, chasing after the white man's role. Don't be right. Green Lantern, you know, don't be Superman. Go out and make your own, you know, she, do she your own She clearly didn't see uh Damon Wayans uh, blank man. No. Who did? <laughs> Point exactly. Well, Meteor Man. What about that one? I think, I mean, part of the whole thing is that this is a woman who's definitely made her career, if not, not obviously not in the superhero genre, but, you know, she's in two Resident Evil movies. She's in Avatar. She's in Fast and Furious. She's definitely in the lane, in whatever of, like, the superhero movies. And for her, it just it just was a very ignorant comment that, um, I, you know, I... I I, I, I could forgive the comment or not forgive whatever. It's not up to me to forgive her. But it's more the fact that she doubled down on it again. Like I said, you're coming out of the club. You, people say stupid stuff all the time when when when, uh, you know, report uh, paparazzi are shouting stuff at them. It was more that she sort of kept with it. And, and that that to me was sort of stupid. Now, she did apologize. And here's her apology. The different cultures from from around the world that are in Hollywood, Latin, black, you know, Asian, so on and so forth, considered minorities because there aren't a lot of writers representing them. They should start focusing on making that, you know, a a, a serious uh, priority. You know, it's it's not about taking, you know, uh, Catwoman or Superman or Green Lantern or, you know, whatever these characters are and trying to make them fit to whatever, you know, cultural background you are. It's, it's you know, I just feel like it, it should be more creative than that. And I think that people need to stop being lazy. And she still is going with the idea that minorities got to do their own thing. Like, this hasn't been been done since the beginning of the comic book medium like create there have been black heroes and black superheroes since pretty much you know as 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 it goes to the very first superhero so it's really crazy that like like you said someone who is in basically superhero movies the fast and the furious movies might as well be superhero movies at this point is saying don't take characters or like the idea that Green Lantern and there's already a black Green Lantern. There's several black Green Lanterns. There's a Muslim Green Lantern. And John Stewart's been around for 50 years or almost 50 years. He's been around since 1967. I'm talking about John Stewart, the Green Lantern, not yeah. John Stewart, of the Daily Show, who's also been around for about 50 years. And the majority of younger generation knows John Stewart as Green Lantern. Right. Like they don't know any other they don't know how Jordan. They know John Stewart. So it, it's just one of those things. But I've been having this argument a lot lately on Facebook and it's really been stunning me because a lot more black people I know are mad about Michael Jordan uh playing Johnny hum- Storm. Johnny Storm than white people that I know. They're like, yo, stop blackwashing characters. And that I think that was one of her words. And that's one of those things like reverse racism that just makes me scratch my head. At, like, what the f- are you talking about? Like, blackwashing. How can you have blackwashing when we live in a society that is dominated by whitewashing? So it's like if you, it's like if somebody is like, you know, washing the Titanic or something, you know, with whitewash, and then somebody like, you know, maybe scrubs one of the decks of like the rescue boats. With a little black juice on it, you know, it's like you're not gonna, <laughs> you're not gonna make up for it, you know. So I, I, it just blows my mind that people are so mad, and that the other side of it, that the people can't see past race, or not even like in a fictional setting, where it's like there's dudes who turn themselves to fire and another man covered in rocks, but they still get hung up on race in it. That just you know bugs me out. No, it's true. And, and, and the other thing is it was, uh, you know, when, when Stan Lee created, you know, mo- uh, certainly all these Marvel heroes that we're talking about in, in the early 60s, like you were you were lucky that you got black people on the streets 
um, you know, just pointing at the superheroes. And that was actually like a, an advancement over the DC comics where there it was just an all white world. Um, and, and so this isn't a blackwashing. It's a correcting of something. If if the Fantastic Four was created today, one of those guys would have been black. And yeah, one would have been more a, you know, one. Yeah, exactly. One would have been Asian. There would have been a Latin. You know what I mean? I, and so... Yeah. That it's correcting for something that was originally messed up, right? But I think also these are now turning into roles as opposed to um, just what you saw in print. So, for Thank example, you. Shakespeare roles can be played by anybody, right? Right? Um, these are like classic roles. Spider Man is a classic role. Now that the cinematic universe has kicked in, you know, these are classic roles. So, I feel like you know. The color should matter. I think somebody, I think as long as they play it well within the arena of, you know, the movie. Right? Yeah, and that's my point. Like, I, I don't understand why people are like, yo, we can only do it one way. And right. it's like, why not? Like you said, that's a correct thing. And, you know, that's a great way of looking at it because, you know, in the Fantastic Four time, you weren't seeing, right. you know, a multiracial or multicultural family. But, you know, now in this time, that'd be a common thing. Like, you look at Modern Family, and it's completely, you know, outrageous compared to the Fantastic Four, which is straight-up Wonder Bread. And it's just, like, it just blows my mind. Like you said, I made that Shakespeare point to people on Facebook and whatnot, and they still don't get it. You know, or it's like the idea that Bond, you know, can't be played by a black man. No, and that's particularly crazy also because there's a whole theory that, James Bond is is actually or each of those guys who plays James Bond in the movies is a different guy. Yeah. James Bond is the is the identity yeah. of whoever has 007 and so there's different guys playing him. So even that it makes it even more um you know like you know work, works works even better and Idris Elba is definitely one of the suavest and manliest British dudes out there. <laughs> Glad you feel that way, Chico. Yo, you know, I got president you know, I mean, of the Idris Elba fan club. Yeah, yo, I've, 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 I got my card right here in there for the Idris Elba fan club. <laughs> well, as Bond, I think yeah, he could. He, he could definitely can play Bond. Yeah. Um, no one complained with Felix Leiter when uh, what's his place has been playing Felix Leiter in in the That's new right. Bond movies. Uh, uh, Jeffrey Wright. Jeffrey Wright. Yeah. Um. So why I don't I don't I, I can't even understand. You know, like why would one? You know, oh, we got black guys in the CIA, but not in MI five. <laughs> right. Uh, uh, for people, that's Felix Leiter is James Bond's um, contact in the CIA. Oh yeah, you that. Thank you. You had to help me out with yeah. that one. Well, yeah, but no, but that's the point. It's like it's okay when it's a secondary character, right. like when it's Nick Fury. You know, okay, that's cool. But you know, you make Captain America black, and I'm not even saying like you know make it another black guy like Falcon. You know, takes over the role. I'm saying Steve Rogers. Well, Steve Rogers. That's that's one of those cases where it's kind of like okay, it's. It's intrinsic to his race that he's white, you know, like he he wouldn't have been. I mean, there's already an Isaiah Bradley. For those who don't know, Isaiah Bradley is like the Tuskegee experiment version of Steve Rogers. So there was a black guy that they experimented the super soldier serum on before Steve Rogers. So Steve Rogers, one of those ones. And that goes to the other side of it, like Black Panther. I don't want to see a white Black Panther yet because I haven't seen a black Black Panther yet. You know, like. But 20, 30 years, 40 years down the line, they want to make what a you, white guy play Black Panther. I don't think I you know, had that much of a problem. What do you think about the I'd also be dead. That, he, that, <laughs> that they have an African-American? Well, you just turned 24, so you'll still be around in 40 years. True but, indeed. Technology but, today. But uh, what, what do you think about the criticism that they've got an African-American man playing Black Panther instead of an African actor? I think there is actually some criticism there just because he is such an iconic figure. And you do have, especially when I think about some of these actors from Britain who are, you know, of Nigerian and Ghanaian descent, there's like five or six of these dudes who are all... But their age isn't, you know, right up there with Chadwick. So That's true. Kinda... Chadwick Boseman is definitely like, what is he, like in his early 30s or late 20s? Yeah. And and you have to commit to like five movies. And yeah. You, you're, you're not just signing up for That's your true. own movie. That's true. You're signing up for the franchise. That's and so true. It's like a five movie package or something like I think Jason Momoa, you know, who's who's Aquaman, right. who is of color, you know, right, absolutely. That's, that's pretty awesome because Aquaman is always yellow, right. you know, including his hair, and now he's got dreads and he looks right. like, you know, I don't know. What like he does rad about Aquaman though. That's the thing. It's like he's gonna bring it though. I think oh, he's, he's gonna definitely bring gonna bring it. 
Yeah, but it's just it, it's been a lot of irrational stuff I've been seeing lately when, you know, and Michelle Rodriguez really just brought it to the forefront. And I had a lot of interesting discussions this week on Facebook about it, on Twitter about it. And yeah, sometimes I, I just, you know, I wish Tatiana was here right now because she can understand that look of frustration that I have. <laughs> just uh, oh, what? The whitewash is real. Oh, man. Let me just stop this right there. And let's take a quick break right here. And we'll be right back with more fan roast. It was, man. <laughs> hey, Chico Leo, what are you doing? I'm getting ready to subscribe to fan bros. Fan bros? What's that? Yo, it's the voice of the urban geek. The voice of the what? The voice of the urban geek. That sounds so cool. How do I follow that? Uh, you can go to iTunes or Twitter or the in- or the internet at large and t- and look for Fanbro's show and you can like, you can subscribe, and you can watch a lot of Star Wars. Chico Leo, do you use the internet a lot? And welcome back, fan bros. We got a little treat for you guys. We have an interview that we pre-recorded with Josh Trujillo. Uh, he is the creator of the Death Saves Anthology, an anthology comic book uh, dealing with the uh, deaths of RPG characters. Uh, anyway, it's a great interview where we explore RPGs, their meaning, gaming in general, and Tatiana and him kick it back and forth. And uh, Chico's in on this too. I'd yeah, 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 absolutely. Yeah. All right, fan bros, enjoy. Joining us today, we have Josh Trujillo and Rob Aber, artists and creators of Death Sage, which is an anthology about comic book stories. And it also deals with what happens to fantasy gaming characters when they run out of hit points. Guys, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having us. Yeah, glad to be here. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Now, that, that, that premise is kind of crazy. Like, can you, can you, well, first, tell us more about yourselves. Sure. Um, so this is Josh speaking. Uh, I'm a, a comic book writer based in Los Angeles. I've I've interned at smaller publishers, I guess, like uh, Archaea or Dark Horse. And I'm, I've been playing D&D or Pathfinder or Dungeon World for probably like 16 years now. Mm-hmm. Um, and so this was just kind of like a love letter to all the characters that I've made that got killed off prematurely, and especially to the ones that I've killed as a game master. Ah, Okay. Elf is about to die. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Eat food badly. Yes, exactly. And uh, and this is Rob. Uh, I'm a screenwriter living out here in Los Angeles. Uh, friend of Josh's. We actually, I I played in a game, a Star Wars game of his for a long time, and he plays in uh, a sci-fi game uh, that I run, and we are co-players in a high fantasy game in the D and D mold. Yeah, we walk the walk or roll the roll. Yeah. 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 <laughs> And I, and I remember he told me about the idea for Death Saves uh, during a session that we were both playing in, and I immediately knew which which character that I had had who who died. That I was like, oh, I got to tell that story. So uh, mm-hmm. I was immediately on board when he told me when he told me about Death Saves. Right. So so speaking of that, you know, the the title Death Saves. I mean, what does death mean to you, just in terms of role playing and storytelling? Um, I mean, I, I, I guess I play mostly as uh, a dungeon master or kind of like the storyteller of the game. Um, but for me, like it's an opportunity because, um, you know, there's only so many twists and turns you can take in a three hour session because you only get to play with these characters so often. And um, the few kind of permanent things you can really do to shake things up is, is killing a player. Um, and there's so many different ways to do it. It's like, I, I don't know, I really... Uh, I think it's the big incentive of the game is, is building something kind of personal, like a character sheet, and then watching it just fall, fall apart completely out of your control. <laughs> and, and then also uh, the thing that, I, I mean, I love, the, I love the title. Josh is the one that came up with it. Uh, but for people who don't play a lot of D&D or RPGs or anything like that, death saves are when your character does drop below zero HP, then it's usually not instantly dead. There's, there's a, a couple of rounds that go by where you're rolling the D20 to uh, the 20 sided die to see if your character is, you know, hanging on for another round long enough for somebody to come by and heal them or for the battle to end or, you know, whatever's happening in the, the fiction of the game. Uh, and so it kind of has this cool double meaning where it is literally referencing the mechanic 
whereby your character survives their encounter with death. And then also, you know, for me, for as a player, the, the times where my character has either died or almost died are some of the most memorable stories. So it really does like kind of save the experience in your mind, mm-hmm. uh, you know, in the aftermath like that. That's always the cool stories that we tell afterwards. Right. So, I mean, this project deals with RPG characters and RPG gaming, like that whole context. Uh, how does how would you say that RPG gaming and online gaming compare? Like, as far as this project is concerned, is, do you think it's a mixture of both? Uh, or is there a particular one that you lean more towards? Uh, I think, uh, well, I, I definitely lean more towards tabletop gaming because uh, mm-hmm. I like the story element of it. Uh, I do get a lot out of playing, you know, either real-time strategy or like World of Warcraft or something like that. I don't play it as much as I do tabletop gaming because it's that to me is more strategy-based. There's more math involved. There can be a more competitive aspect. Whereas with tabletop gaming, uh, you're you're crafting this collaborative fiction with your fellow players or with your DM, and so you really get to live with these these characters that you build up over a long period of time. Whereas, uh, you know, playing like, uh, I I love the Elder Scrolls series, like Skyrim and uh, Elder Scrolls Online. And those games are really fun from a optimization standpoint, the more gamic element, but I don't think you get the same, it doesn't scratch that same story itch. And these are all your characters that you've created, that you've taken through campaigns, right? Uh, That are are appearing in, 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 in Death Saves? I'd say a lot of them are either directly uh, characters that I've I've played as. I mean, the, the stories that I've written in the book, uh, we have about 30 creators, so a lot of people draw from their personal experiences. Right. Um, so a lot of them are kind of hybrid characters. Um, if any if any of my high school gaming group uh, reads this book, they'll definitely see a few of their characters get their heads cut off and drowned and stuff. Right, and 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 for instance, my my story is called Thirsty, and it's just like a seven page story in the in the anthology, but. That is directly uh, taken from a, you know, not word for word because you do have to, you know, translate. You know, have to adapt it into a comic book. There's but, less cursing uh, than the actual. Experience. Yeah, there's right. way less cursing than the real, and less. Uh, there's there's not as many food stains on the uh, on the paper. Right. But uh, <laughs> but otherwise, it it is an actual event that happened to a character that unfortunately did die that I played that uh, had been a character of mine for about two and a half years, and then uh, died in that session. But ended up uh, giving me a really funny story for the for the anthology. <laughs> so beyond the basic role-playing games like Dungeons & Dragons or Warhammer 40K, do you guys ever get into um, any other things, like uh, maybe some Shadowrun or Call of Cthulhu? Yeah, I mean, I'm a, I'm a huge, huge fan of tabletop gaming in general. So if, if you throw it out there, I've probably at least read the source book. You know, whether I can convince other people to come in with me on a new system, that's always tricky. But uh, uh, I think our our big one right now is Thirteenth Age, is a is a I wouldn't say really a competitor to D and D. It's really it's kind of conversational. Uh, like the social aspects of D and D as I get older are kind of like what is drawing me into the game instead of like oh I need to level up my character this much. Um, so Thirteenth Age is kind of good because you you kind of have to bargain with the game master to get anything done. And just with the group of friends we have assembled, I mean, it just it just evolves so quickly into nonsense in the best possible way. Um, uh, a lot of the like kind of the death experiences of the book are a little more universal than just like D and D or Pathfinder, because um, in a lot of these different other games, people spend hours developing a character. They draw pictures of them. They have a whole backstory planned out, and then an hour into their first session, they're killed off. Right. And this happens in all over tabletop gaming. Uh, but but right now I think we're we're you know we're always looking. We both design games as well, you know, kind of homebrews and things like that. And uh, and so we're always looking at new systems or new games to to honestly just rip stuff off from, or to just import it into our D and D games. Um, and so I, I know right now we're both we we both been looking at uh, the new Star Wars game, Edge of Empire, yeah. uh, has some really interesting stuff with it. Um, uh, yeah, so we're just always, we're always looking for something new to spice up the mechanics of a tabletop session. Right, right. Now I know you guys. You said you're more drawn to tabletop, but at, for Death Sage, this is a comic book. How come you guys didn't think, oh, let's make this into a game? Well, we kind well we kind of did actually mm-hmm. because uh, we already hit one of our uh, one of our stretch goals, and uh, that stretch goal was to create a dungeon master's guide. Nice. That is. 
Thank you. Yeah, thank, thank you. you. That is hyper lethal. So uh, we we tried to import the kind of that that fun flirting with death aspect into uh, an actual supplement that people can play uh, if they if they if they back the uh, project and uh, get the book. So like even in tabletop and I'm I'm an RPG gamer actually like I love. The Final Fantasy series, Chrono sure. Cross. I mean, even I do MMOs too. I did DFO a lot, um, Dungeon Fighter Online. So mm -hmm. in all of these games, like you said, it's nothing permanent about it. It's kind of a semi-permanence, either in something like D&D &D where you're rolling a die to see what really is going to happen to your character or you know that you can rest yourself because you have some stone or crystal or something like that. Just in all of these games, do you think that we need less resurrections and maybe some more permanence? <laughs> Well, I'm not willing to take like a, I'm not going to take a stance on resurrections, I guess, <laughs> here. Uh, I will say that, uh, you know, I think permanence is kind of a big deal. And I know a lot of gaming groups will, will kill off characters and then they bring them back the next week like it never happened. Right. And that kind of defeats the purpose for me. Like, you know, it's not, it's not Super Mario Brothers. My character doesn't die and come back. In, you know, there's not a whole line of Mario's waiting to be played. If, if Mario dies, I want to play as someone else next time. Mm -hmm. um, and so you kind of, you know, you want to put your personal stamp on it and kind of be flavored by your experiences, which you can't really do. I play a lot of Final Fantasy games, too. Um, but, you know, you're playing as like Lady Yuna for 50 hours. She's Lady Yuna no matter what you really do to her. Yeah. Whereas if you create a kind of like your own version of that character in Dungeon World or Final Fantasy or I'm sorry, in a 13th Age, uh, you can really kind of make it your own. I think it also matters what kind of an RPG you're playing. So, you know, if you take something like Final Fantasy, I, you know, the fact that they have a revive potion, uh, you still need to have Eris die in the middle of Final Fantasy VII, right? Spoilers for that yeah. Yeah. <laughs> couple decades old game. Right. And what happens to Eris? Yeah, sorry, sorry, Josh. <laughs> uh, but, but so, you know, if, if you were to just... Uh, toss a revive potion on her and she comes back, then we wouldn't all remember that character. But that's because Final Fantasy is more of a story-driven RPG, whereas something like Dark Souls, still a video game, still a you know video game RPG, but in that uh, death is a little bit is way cheaper because the whole point of the game, it's a skill-based thing. There is no story in Dark Souls, or there barely is, but uh, the whole idea is it's 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 a skill-based thing where you, you keep dying over and over and over again until eventually you get good enough at the game. Whereas Final Fantasy doesn't really do that. You know, you can you level grind and everything, and you can get through the whole game without ever really having a total party kill. Absolutely, uh, yeah. In D&D or Pathfinder, you know, you can roll. The entire party can die for the stupidest reasons. You know, I've had people fail at unlocking a door to break into a pharmacy so that they could buy some <laughs> buy some twine or something. Right. And like they didn't even want to like they didn't want it didn't mean any trouble, but then like a bad roll leads to someone breaking a bottle and then it catches on fire and before you know it, the entire party's dead. Like just it, it happens. Yeah. I, I think it's also with one thing that's really cool about tabletop games, um, and again I'm a huge video game fan, so I don't want to I don't I don't want this to come off like I'm talking down about video games. But video game RPGs tend to be more like a theme park where there's certain rides or certain levels that you can go on and you enjoy them and it's a curated experience that's created for you to kind of come into, right? Whereas tabletop games are a little bit more of a sandbox feel to them where you are in this collaborative exercise with the other people around the table and you can deviate from the rules, you know, what tabletop game doesn't have programming, basically, it has rules, but you can deviate from that system or those mechanics when it behooves the, the, the rest of the table, you know, and you kind of, you curate your own experience. Um, so I, I do think that they, they, they have, it's two different types of pleasure that you get from those experiences. So I want to switch topics a little bit. Um, for, for the listeners, you guys actually reached out to us based on our mission to have more diversity and inclusion in the fan bros realm. So I, I want to hear it from the both of you. Like, How do you feel how inclusive is people of color in media and the representation of people of color? And in tabletop games. And in tabletop games. Uh, I, I mean, how come there's no black elves? What's that about? Well, there's that, <laughs> there's that whole dark elf thing, which is right. really, we, I'm not yeah. going to get into that, but yeah. um, I, to speak to tabletop gaming, uh, it, at least growing up, the, the struggle is that these communities, these little gaming groups are usually like islands and you don't really get to talk to or meet with a lot of fellow gamers and you don't really know what 
what a gaming group looks like. Mm. Um, in high school, I had uh, a few friends. I mean, we had the captain of the football team play Dungeons and Dragons with us, and he he was a, a person of, of color. And I just always had that as a part of my my gaming experience. So I didn't think anything of it. Um, and I've noticed that lately, uh, certain games are really developing like huge followings, especially women. A lot more women, I think, are playing RPGs than they were five or ten years ago. Yeah, in, in our regular group, uh, two of our seven members are women, which does which is not enough, but is better than the stereotype would suggest. And um, I, I actually do get involved with some of the conventions here in L.A., uh, that go through Strategicon. So like OrcCon is a big one and that one's coming up. And uh, I am happy. I, I, when I go to them now, I do notice a lot more diversity in the, uh, in the people showing up there. And I think a big part of that it has been the inclusive reaction that the tabletop gaming community has had to some of the uh, like cosplay, things like that, that, ha that do have a stronger more diverse community around them. Uh, tabletop gaming has been trying to pull those people in and create uh, an environment that is more welcoming. And so I, ha I have been happy to see that happen uh, since I've been in into the into the uh, into the hobby. Oh, and I, and I think uh, I think some of it is uh, at least living in the city because um, I used to live more towards the suburbs. There were a lot of gaming and hobby stores around. And I live in the middle of L.A., and the nearest hobby store, I think, is like 15 miles away or something. Mm -hmm. It's in Santa Monica, which might as well be an hour and a half away. Um, and so, like, you know, if you were kind of like, you know, stuck in a, in a metropolitan environment, you don't really have access to, to some of these games. Um, and so that's kind of a struggle. But there's a lot of free-to-play online ways to do it now, um, like Roll20 uh, is a good online free-to-play thing. You can play any of your tabletop RPGs on there. Um, the internet is really fixing everything and, and balancing it out. Yeah, and it's also, there, there's been a huge uh, surge in homebrew games and uh, like Josh was saying, some of the online community stepping up to the plate where this industry was created by a very small group of people who were very similar. It was a bunch of, you know, 20-something to 30, to 20-something to 40-something-year-old white guys who were into war game. A bunch of and, crazy old white people. Yeah, a bunch of crazy old white guys. And, uh, and, and since then, um, it's really found a home online where it doesn't matter as much, you know, whether you're able-bodied, where, where in the country you live, wh whether you live internationally, uh, what your gender is. Any, none of that stuff really matters. And one of the things that's really cool about tabletop gaming is that it lets you become whoever you want to be. So in that sense, I think it actually is very pro-diversity because you get to live in somebody else's shoes uh, for a brief amount of time. Yeah, and I appreciate you guys are you're not just only talking the talk, but you're walking the walk or, or you're rolling the roll, as you said earlier. <laughs> so I have a quick question. Our, 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 our captain of the ship, Ben, I mean, couldn't be here tonight, but he had a couple of questions for you guys. Now, were you sure. guys fans of Skull Crushers? Yeah. And Wait, Skull Kickers, Skull Kickers. You mean Skull Kickers? Yeah. The comic book? Yeah. Skull Kickers. Yeah. Skull Kickers. <laughs> well, yeah, I am. They're, they're, that should prove it. <laughs> <laughs> and do you guys, did you guys enjoy Rat Queens? Yeah, Rat Queens, I, I love. Uh, the art in that book is amazing. Yeah, Rat Queens uh, is a good book. Uh, and, well, you, go, go ahead and, and, and ask your question. I, I was just about, about to go off on Rat question, Queens. sir. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I mean, I, I almost, I, I, I like want to, I want to plug Rat Queens, even though I have nothing to do with the book because it's so awesome. But it's like a, it's a party, uh, it's an all female party of adventurers who, uh, you know, just scrape by getting gold and killing dragons and stuff, and it is so cool. And the art is really, really interesting. Yeah, um, the the Skull Kickers guy was it Jim Zub or Jim Zub? I don't know. Jim Zub, yeah. Um, but there's like a huge explosion of these kind of fantasy comics right now, and I guess we're kind of a part of that in our own way. Um, but it's I don't know, like th this kind of gaming is like coming out of the closet a little bit, you mm -hmm. know. Um, it's it's a lot more socially acceptable, even within nerd communities. I would talk to comic book friends 10 years ago and I'd do, oh, I'm playing Dungeons and Dragons tonight. And they'd kind of look down at me and like, what are you doing? But now that I'm like, you know, I, maybe it's just the people you surround yourself with. But now I, I tell people I'm going to play Dungeons and Dragons tonight and they ask if they can come along. 
Right. And, yes. and, and what's really cool is I, I think 10 years ago when, cause you know, like Avengers is the biggest movie in the world. Like yeah. that, that kind of stuff happens now. And that wasn't, we didn't really imagine that. 15 years ago? No, I, I, and, I still can't imagine. And so I think it used to be if you were into comic books, you were like, all right, I can be into comic books, but I can't be into comic books and Pokemon and, you yeah. know, tabletop gaming and video games. Like I had to choose one. My social, my social circle can only take such, so much of a hit, right? And now that just nerd, nerd stuff is cooler, people are more willing to give it a shot. And I think that's one of the reasons why me and Josh were well, – why Josh came up with the idea for Death Stays and why I was so into it. Is because uh, when you do this kind of cross media stuff, you know, people doing nerd podcasts or fan films or comic books or whatever, it does pull more people into the hobby from that other medium. It's chic to be geek. It is. And you know that that's true because it rhymes. Right. So. <laughs> well, that's the whole appeal with Rat Queens because it's not just a fantasy book, that it, but it features all women. And they, they, they don't have the typical personalities of the women in the fantasy realm. Yeah, that, that's one of the things I love about it. They have this very modern, like, the very contemporary, ironic sensibility to the whole thing. And it's so cool. Like, they, I think there's a, one of my favorite parts of it, there's an atheist cleric exactly. in it. Which yeah, is Which, which is, is hilarious. <laughs> because, you know, it, you know, because D&D used to be, some of the earlier versions of D&D were very constricting. They, they had these tropes that were all this, these tolkien light tropes, right? And so you had to worship... If you had, if you wanted these powers, you had to worship a god from this list that some guy had made, and that stuff's all out the window now. Like now, people are just breaking these things open and making their own game, and that's what they should be doing. Now, there's, there's a new edition of D and D out. Are, are you guys playing that, or have you guys? Uh... I played it a couple of times. This uh, I'm aware of it. I know it exists. Yeah, uh, it's there when I want it. it right. It's. It's cool. Uh, I I think some of the changes that they made were 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 really smart. Um, I don't know how much you guys know about what happened with D&D. The new one is 5th edition. Right, the 5th edition, yeah. And then I don't know what they're going to call it when they come out with 6th because next becomes whatever. Right, right. But D&D 4th had this – There was it kind of broke the, the consumer base, right, because it was very gamey and it felt like World of Warcraft. And all those people that wanted to play that had already left to go play World of Warcraft. Right, right, right. Um, and D&D – Next is kind of this back to basics game, which I like. I think it's really cool. I think the problem is that in the interim, uh, the world has moved forward. Yeah, people went on to Pathfinder. People went on to Thirteenth Age sure. or other other games, other systems that you know I've never even heard of. And, and, and it's them. difficult to get those people back. Yeah, and uh, just on on top of that, you know, some of these games, um, especially the older version of D and D, is just like doing your taxes to make a character sheet, and that's kind of like the joke. But it's true. You spend you spend hours just crunching numbers, like, oh, I want my character to be, to be really good at basket weaving, so I have to put skills in the basket weaving. Right. Yeah. And you yeah, have to do math. Right. And like, who cares? Which you can't do level? because then you don't have enough points in trap sense or something, right. and then. <laughs> And, and between, then you die. And between like whatever, 1974 and, and 2014, um, we have computers that can do math a lot better than we can. Even even some of the nerdiest of us, you know, like we don't need more math in our gameplay. And I think the older, the more recent versions of D and D were trying to push things to be kind of like math on math. Right. And I, I mean, I don't want to speak. <laughs> I don't want to speak for like everybody who plays the game because I know a lot of people do like that math element to it they like trying to create a really powerful character but i think there are probably i would say a majority of players don't want to do homework before they start playing so there are there was this huge upswing in systems like fate or fate accelerated like some of those kind of games where uh making a character is really fast really collaborative really creative and very little number crunching having said that i love donkey kong jr math it's one of my favorite video games <laughs> You gonna tell me you like Mario Paint now? <laughs> I, I will gladly not, not like Mario Paint. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Josh and Rob, will you survive the the uh, long form question and answer? We're going to go right into the brap segment, which oh. is our rapid fire question and answer portion of the show. Are you guys ready? Yeah, let's yes. do it. All right, first one: The Wire or Breaking Bad? Uh, Breaking Bad for me. The Wire. Oh wow, that was quick. <laughs> All right. Magneto or Professor X? Magneto. I'm into Professor X these days. He's not a killer. Isn't oh, he man. dead, though? Yeah, it doesn't matter. He's, he's always dead. He'll be back. His memory will live on. 
Death saves. <laughs> Falcon, <laughs> Falcon or War Machine? Falcon. Falcon. All right. Does anyone pick War Machine? Yeah, we've had a couple sure. here and there. Sure. <laughs> that, doesn't, that doesn't happen. That doesn't happen. Falcon's so much cooler. Falcon has <laughs> got a way better costume. I like the version where you can talk to birds. Yeah. <laughs> Teen Titans or X-Men? X-Men. X-Men. Good answers. Star Wars or Star Trek? Star Wars. Star Wars. If you can have any one superpower, what would it be? Super speed. Oh, uh, I always like telekinesis. Excellent. Awesome. Well, you guys survived the rap segment. Yes. Awesome. Congratulations. Now I, I feel very strongly about all those answers. I, I, I hope answer so. I hope so. You answered them with great fury. So, <laughs> so before we go, can you tell the fan bros where they can find you guys? Uh, yeah, you can uh, follow the Death Saves Kickstarter on uh, Tumblr or Facebook, or you can follow me on Twitter at LostHisKeysMan or at JoshTrujillo.com. And you'll probably have to check the website on how to spell that. <laughs> and also the Kickstarter? Uh, yeah, so uh, we are going for 30 more days. So you can find us under the Comics and Anthology section. And yeah, Death Saves, Fallen Heroes of the Kitchen Table. And Rob will tell you where you can find him. Oh, uh, I, I don't even do Twitter, but <laughs> but you can you can you can find my company. We we did a, a board. We do, I have a board game company uh, called Terrible People LLC, and you can find us on Facebook. Nice, awesome. Well, again, thank you guys so much for stopping by Fan Bros Show. We really enjoy this, and we hope to hear from you guys soon. All right, thanks, guys. Yeah, thank you. Thank thanks. you. And that's it for this episode of Fan Bros Show. Do remember to subscribe to us on SoundCloud. Like us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter, Vine, Instagram, MySpace, all that stuff. Uh-huh. At Fan Bros Show. We are there. We are out here in the internet. <laughs> Got some very big announcements coming soon, but you're going to have to wait for those for another episode because it's too big to mention once again. Yes. Ben's keeping secrets. He's in that star chamber. Illuminati. Fan Bros. F-A-N-P-R-O-S. For all nerds.